And we'll go over that here in a little bit and um, talk about talk about this. Tonight we're going to go to the first chapter of Revelation, and we're going to get started tonight. And um, I, I want to give some a uh, um, little bit of foundation and some introduction this evening as well. So um, we want to build a good foundation to get started with, okay? Praise the Lord. All right. Revelation chapter number 1, and I'm just going to read the first three verses, and then we will uh, get into some introductory remarks and uh, before we dive into the text itself. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. I'm reading tonight from the New King James, and it reads like this. The revelation, did everybody get a, everybody get a paper? All right. Do we have enough? Okay. We got, is the, do y'all have the CD going back there? Got it going good deal. Thank you. Revelation chapter number 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And I think that's very important tonight. Amen. The time is near. Let's, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon our study tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you again tonight for this opportunity to be here to study the Word of God. And Lord, for the blessing that you have promised to give to those who would study and read and apply the book of Revelation to our lives. And that's what we're here to do tonight and for the upcoming weeks. I ask you for understanding. I ask you that the Holy Spirit give all of us the spirit of wisdom revelation in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and of your word. And we praise you for being our teacher tonight, Lord. Give me the words to say, and we give you praise for it, what you do in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. How many, how many would agree tonight that we're living in some exciting times? I believe that we are. We're living in exciting times. And the drama of the ages is moving very rapidly toward a climax and a conclusion. And the script for what's happening and for what will happen on the world stage is contained in the book of Revelation. And you know, we have a lot of people today, the unsaved, those who don't know the Lord, their hearts, many of them have hearts that are filled with fear as they look at what's coming on the earth. And there's kind of a foreboding in a lot of people's lives. And we mentioned the other day about Brother Scott, you know, and the witness that he gave to a couple of guys about the coming of the Lord. 
And they nodded in affirmation that they believed in that. These, he didn't know whether they were saved or not, but they did know something about, and, and the majority of the world does know, um, that something is coming. Something is going to happen. And the hearts of the unsaved, Jesus even said that men's hearts in the last days would fail them for fear of the things that are coming upon the face of the earth. But here's the thing. You know, the world is in confusion. It's in a mess. People don't know what to do. They don't know what's going to happen. But you know what? Those who know the Bible and those who know Bible prophecy can rest secure knowing that God will have the last word and that he's still in control of this universe and the coming events of this world. Amen. And that should give us a peace in our heart to know that God's got this thing. Amen. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the events immediately preceding his second coming are revealed in the book of Revelation more graphically than in any other book of the Bible. And there's a lot of prophecy throughout the Word of God, but this culminates, everything culminates in the book of Revelation. Amen. Because uh, a lot of people, you know, they just they're they're afraid of the book of Revelation. They won't don't they, they they don't want to study the book of Revelation because they think that it's that it's too difficult to comprehend. But that's really not so. And when we when we approach this book, this final book in the Word of God, we need to not come to it with that mindset that, well, and I've heard people say this, well, nobody understands the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a big mystery. If that's the case, why didn't he call it the book of mystery? Why didn't he call it the book of I don't know or you can't understand? Amen. But he didn't call it that. He called it the name of the, of the book is Revelation. And the word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. And uh, it means, that very word means to uncover or to unveil. It means to pull back a veil, a, a veil that's hiding something so it can be made known and be revealed. It's a revealing of something. And this, that's what apocalypsis means. It's a revealing of something that a person could not find out any other way or on his own. It's God revealing something to us. It's kind of like, you know, a statue, a sculptor would make a statue and nobody's ever seen it yet and they've got a, a, a tarp over it or a veil over it and they have that day when they have the big unveiling for everybody to see it and everybody's just waiting anticipating and all of a sudden they boom they pull the veil off and reveal what that sculpture or that painting or what what that is and that's what the book of revelation is it's an unveiling 
of God's, it's an unveiling of, of truths and mysteries. Yeah, these are mysteries, but a mystery in the Bible is something that we couldn't understand before, but God has revealed it and made it known to us. Amen. He's given us the answer. And so this book of Revelation is not to be a mysterious or confusing book, but it's to be a book that's illuminating and a book that's revealing. And that's what we want to that's what we want to get out of it in this study over the next several weeks or months or however long. Amen. And it would be great, wouldn't it, if the rapture take place and the Lord come right while we're in the midst of this, and then we could just finish it out in heaven. Amen. Wouldn't that be great? But uh, when, when studying the book of Revelation, the method that we use of interpretation is what is known as the literal futuristic method. This is the method that holds that all Scripture is to be interpreted literally. And actually, when you're studying the Bible, you should study all of the Word of God in this same way. That everything in the Bible is given literally and is to be interpreted literally. If there is symbolism and there is symbolism in Revelation, then we must use the Bible itself to uh, understand and to uh, interpret what the symbolism means. We can't just put our own understanding on it and say, or our own twist on it and say, well, I think it means this. And somebody else say, well, I think it means that. It, 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 it can only mean one thing, so uh, we need to, to interpret the, the, the book of Revelation just like we do other biblical, uh, other biblical uh, texts, and that is by a literal interpretation. So all Scripture and the book of Revelation is to be interpreted literally. Therefore, the majority of the prophecies of Revelation, you need to get this, the majority. This is the way we teach it and the way we believe it. I believe is the, the way God intended it to be interpreted, that the majority of the prophecies of Revelation are still yet to be fulfilled. Amen? Now there is a there's a group called the preterist and uh, called preterism that uh, the preterist approach and there's a lot of different denominations that follow the preterist approach to interpreting the book of Revelation and they consider Revelation the preterists do they consider Revelation as a symbolic history and that it's not prophetic at all they teach that it's a record of the conflicts of the early church and their persecution that they went through and uh, up until the the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So to take the preterist approach, they are forced to allegorize and symbolize many if not most of the chapters of the book of Revelation because the preterists believe and they interpret Revelation uh, in a way that they, they believe that the book of Revelation was written between AD 64 and AD 67 and that all of the events of Revelation were fulfilled in AD 70 when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. 
Well, to, do, to, to have that kind of interpretation, to say that all of the book of Revelation is past history and is all about the church up until AD 70, then you have to, you, there's a lot there you don't, you're not going to be able to figure out what to do with. Are you hearing me? But there's the historians that believe that all of Revelation is history. They believe a lot like the preterists, that it's all historical, that it's all symbolic, and that there's nothing in Revelation that is yet to be fulfilled in the future. That is not what we believe, and that is not what the Bible teaches. Amen? That, uh, that is a false way of interpreting the book of Revelation. And we'll find that out. So we hold to a literal, here's, here's where we're at. We hold here at Abundant Life Family Church in our, in our way of believing, uh, we hold to a literal, futuristic, premillennial, pre-tribulational interpretation of the book of Revelation. Now, I, you know, if there's anybody here that doesn't agree with that, then, you know, we can talk. I will not argue or debate it because you're not changing my mind, all right? This is what I believe and what I believe the Bible, uh, the way the Bible's meant to be um, interpreted. Now, what do you mean, Brother Rick? You've heard the words premillennial, right? You've heard the words pre-tribulational, so what do we mean by those terms? And uh, the, the, the word premillennial, our belief is a premillennial, the premillennial coming of Jesus, we believe that the events and the second coming of Jesus Christ will take place before the millennial reign or before the millennial kingdom of Jesus on the earth. Now, there's some that believe in a post-millennial uh, interpretation that Jesus is not coming back till the end of the millennium. But that's not taught in the Scriptures, and we'll see that as we go through the book of Revelation. We are premillennial, but we are also pre-tribulational. And here's something that gets a little sticky with some people, because there are people today that believe in a, in a and when we say pre-tribulation, we mean what we believe is that the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord for His church, will occur before the great tribulation period. We don't believe or teach that the church will go through any of the great tribulation period. There are those that believe that there's a mid that the Lord will come in the middle of the tribulation. Some are post-trib and believe that He's coming back for the church at the end of the tribulation. Uh, well, that you know. So, but we don't follow uh, that. We are pre-tribulation. You've heard me say it before. I'm so pre-tribulation rapture. I don't even eat post-toasties. Amen. So the rapture, we believe from the Bible, and we'll see this in the book of Revelation, will occur before the tribulation period. And I do believe this, and we want to stress this all the way through, that that coming of the Lord for the church is just about ready to take place because everything's coming together. Amen. Now, you've got your little hand out there. And uh, I want to look at the natural outline of the book of Revelation that's given in Revelation 119. And that's the second thing down on the list there of the, of the um, handout. And John, Jesus says this to John. And this verse here, Revelation 119, is a key verse. It's a key verse 
in understanding the book of Revelation. And he says this. If, if you can get this, this will help you right here. This will help you in understanding the book. Revelation 119, John is told by the Lord, Jesus says to him, Write the, thing, the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Here's the natural division of the book. Number one, he says, write the things which you have seen. That's the past things. That's the things of chapter 1 that we're going to deal with here in just a little bit. That's the things that he sees, the, the vision of the glorified Christ, the seven golden candlesticks, the things that are dealt with in chapter 1. Jesus said, write those things that you have seen. And then, secondly, the second division, Jesus says, and write the things which are. That's chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation. The things which are deal with where we are now. Chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation deals with the church, with the church age. And right now, that's where we are in the church age. Somebody said, where are we in the book of Revelation? We are in the second, third chapter. I believe, personally, we're in the third chapter, down toward the bottom of the third chapter in a, a period of Laodicean, of the Laodicean church, okay? I believe that's where we're at. So, uh, in which that's the last church age before the rapture of the church. So just bear that in mind. So he says, write the things which are concerning the churches. And then he says, and the third thing is future. And he says, and write the things which shall be hereafter or after this. After what? After the churches. After the churches. So from Revelation, this covers Revelation 4 through Revelation 22. And as when we get into Revelation 4, we will see that the the, um, that the chapter 4, verse 1, we believe is the rapture of the church. It's the catching away of the church. Amen. You don't, from Revelation 4 to Revelation 19, the church is never mentioned again. You don't read anything, hear anything, nothing said about the church on earth. When it is mentioned, it's in heaven. Okay, so that's why we hold to a pre-tribulational rapture. So we believe that everything is future from from chapter four through verse through chapter four through chapter twenty-two. Now there's a chronological outline of Revelation that we've given to you as well, and uh, this chronological outline is the layout of the book of Revelation. In chapter 1, we have the revelation of the glorified Christ. Chapter 2 and 3, you have the entire scope of the church age. Chapter 4 and 5, you have the church taken up to heaven by rapture. Praise God. I just get excited every time I get to that part. Chapter 6 through 19 is the tribulation period. It begins when Jesus begins to loose the seals of the seven-sealed book in Revelation chapter 6. 
And so chapters 6 through 10 is the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Chapter 11 through 19 deals with the second half of the tribulation. Chapter 19b or the second part of chapter 19 deals with the second coming of Christ and the battle of Armageddon. Chapter 20 deals with the millennial reign of Christ and the great white throne judgment. And then chapter 21 and 22 tells us about the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and eternity all the way through with no more devil, with no more sin, with no more demons, with no more fallen angels, with no more temptation or anything else. A perfect age, praise God, throughout eternity. That's what we're looking for. Can I get an amen? So if you look at the little diagram at the bottom, this kind of lays out the timeline that we have in the book of Revelation. Where the cross is, that's the church age. That's where we are right now. If you'll notice the next thing that's predicted to happen, the next great prophetic major prophetic event that's to take place is shown by an arrow which is going which way? up, and that's the rapture of the church. That's what we're waiting for right now. Now, and then if you'll notice that after the rapture of the church, you have the rise of the Antichrist. Now, if you'll notice the line for the Antichrist where he comes on the scene and signs a seven-year covenant with Israel, um, you notice that line is, is in there. We're not sure. You're not, we're not sure. Nobody's sure exactly how long it will be from the time the saints are taken out until the Antichrist rises up and signs the peace treaty and confirms that peace covenant with Israel. We do know that the tribulation, now, now this is very important, the tribulation period does not start officially on God's clock until that treaty is signed by the Antichrist with the, the, the nation of Israel. The rapture of the church does not begin the tribulation period. I don't know how long it will be, neither does anybody else. From the time of the rapture till the time the Antichrist actually comes to that place where he sits down and signs that covenant, that treaty, a seven-year treaty, and will bring peace to the Middle East doing something that no other leader or president's ever been able to do. But he will do that. So, but but soon as that treaty is signed, that seven-year covenant with Israel, that will begin the clock ticking, all right? That will start God's time clock of, a, of Daniel's 70th week, which is the seven-year tribulation period. It's going to be seven years in duration, but it's going to be divided into different, uh, two different areas. So the first three and a half years is when Israel will be at peace. There will be peace there. There'll be a lot going on as we'll find out uh, in the loosing of the seals, but Israel will be at peace. But in the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel and, 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 you know, that's when the abomination of desolation is set up in the temple that Jesus spoke about in, Re in Matthew chapter 24. And so that will begin the second half of the tribulation. That is the midpoint of the tribulation. 
during the second three and a half years of that tribulation period is what is known as the Great Tribulation. That's the part of the tribulation where Jesus said himself that there will be tribulation such as never has been or ever will be. And unless the days would be shortened, there wouldn't be any flesh saved. What does he mean by that? It'll be so bad that unless those days are shortened, the entirety of the human race would be annihilated. Nobody would be left. But for the elect's sake, he said, those days will be shortened. Hallelujah. But you can see two-thirds of Israel will be killed, not counting all the other people besides the Israelites that will die, that will, that will, that will lose their life. Billions and billions of people will die during the tribulation. But a third of Israel, a remnant, will be protected to go into the millennial reign of Christ. Then we have at the end of that three and a half years of the great tribulation, the second coming. As you see, that arrow's coming down. That's when Jesus comes back to fight the battle of Armageddon and to rescue Israel from the Antichrist and his forces. That's when he comes back and defeats the, the takes the Antichrist, the false prophet, throws them alive into the lake of fire. Praise God. One angel binds up Satan with a great big chain, throws him into the bottomless pit for 1,000 years, and there will be peace on earth for 1,000 years. Praise God. It will be a utopia under the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what a time. See what I mean about Bible prophecy is what I love about it. It gives us hope for the future. Woo, hallelujah to the Lamb. God is so good. Then we have the great white judgment, great white throne judgment, and then the eternal ages to come. Now, the over... The overarching theme of Revelation, of the book of Revelation, is that it is about Jesus Christ. The book is about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus carrying out the will of the Father. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ is on the throne as it, and is going to be in control of all of the events that take place during this time uh, from the rapture all the way through. It's, it's, the theme is that things are going to go according to God's plan and that he is coming back again and will make all things new. Praise God. So remember that the book of Revelation is about Jesus. There's going to be some stuff in here about plagues. There's going to be some stuff about the Antichrist. There's going to be some stuff about the great harlot, um, about uh, mystery Babylon. There's going to be a lot of things in there that we will discuss and talk about. But the book of Revelation is not about the, uh, not all about the Antichrist or the mark of the beast or the plagues. Those are going to be talked about. But the main character in the book of Revelation is Jesus. Woo, hallelujah. So remember that, amen. So let's dive in here and go do what we can do, all right? 
I, I, I just wanted to lay a little groundwork. But Revelation chapter 1, we've read verses 1 and 2. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Notice it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. As I said, he is the ultimate author of this book, and um, he's the one that it's about. You know, there's a song we've sang in the past. I've heard quartets sing it, and you, I'm sure you've heard it. It's, called, it's a song called John the Revelator. Anybody ever heard that, John the Revelator? Well, uh, John is not the Revelator. Jesus is the Revelator. Amen. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. John is the one that has the pen, and he's the one that's got the parchment, and he's the one that's recording all that Jesus is going to show him of this revelation. John is the human author of this book. So we know that John's the one that is going to pen the words. This is a revelation from Jesus about Jesus. It begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. He's at the first chapter and he's in the last chapter. Oh, hallelujah. It's all about him. Now, the book of Revelation, notice what he says here. We want to clarify something that it says that that he will show his servants things in, that must, in verse 1, that must shortly take place. That must shortly take place. Now, these are future events that are yet to happen in the end time. And a lot of people stumble over what Jesus said here, that these are things that would shortly take place. And the preterists will jump on that and say, you see, well, that's why it was all fulfilled in a few years up until A.D. 70 because it had to shortly take place. It couldn't be literal, they say, because it's been 2,000 years. That's not very short. Well, we don't count time like God, or God doesn't count time like we count time for one thing. But the Greek word for shortly there is the word um, uh, taki, not taco, but taki, and, uh, or tacky. But it means that word, that Greek word means great rapidity or speed or swiftness. And we get you know, we always get English words. We have a lot of our English words come from Greek words. And so the, the English word that we get from that Greek word is the word tachometer. How many knows what a tachometer is? All you guys probably do because you like to see that thing revved up, don't you? Huh? Pegging out. Praise God. <laughs> Corey, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, uh, but, but tachometer is, 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 is a device in a car that measures engine speed. So despite Revelation being written almost 2,000 years ago, to God the prophecies of the book will happen with great Rapidity, it will happen very quickly, very, very fast. Once these things began to unfold, they will increase their RPMs. And can I tell you that things are revving up now? Are you listening to me? Amen. So 
what Jesus, what this was telling us was that, you know, once these, these things that he's talking about begin to happen, it's going to be a short work. It's going to be fast. It's going to be quick. It's going to be speedy. Amen. God's, it's, you know, once the rapture takes place and the Antichrist comes on the scene, it's not going to be millennia. It's going to be boom, 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 seven years, and it's all over. And so he's talking about those things that will shortly come to pass. And I want you to know that more and more signs are beginning to show up even now. And the closer you get to the event of the, of the coming of the Lord, the more and more we see the signs that Jesus talked about throughout the Word of God and the Apostle Paul and other prophets. We see those signs of the times today. So when he talks about his return being, he said these things will shortly take place. God wants us to realize something about the return of Jesus, and that is that his return is imminent. We believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus. Not, we, you know, the Bible didn't teach the immediate return, but it does teach the imminent return of the Lord, which means that in a minute he could come. Any time he could come. That it very soon, at any moment in time, and that is the reason why why so much is written in the Bible and is given to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants his church and his people to be ready and always looking and always watching and always waiting and prepared for his coming because he said it could be in the morning, it could be at noon, it could be when the rooster's crowing, it could be at night. You just don't know but be ye ready. Ready. Is that what he said? Be ye ready. Praise God, for he said, You don't know the day or the hour, but be ready. His return is imminent. Well, there's so much about the second coming in the Word of God. It's a, it, it is a major doctrine in the Bible. There's 260 chapters in the New Testament. And in 260 chapters, there are 318 verses on the second coming. That's one in every 30 verses something is mentioned about the second coming. There are 27 books in the New Testament. And out of those 27 books, 23 of those books, books refer to the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus. For every prophecy in the Bible that, that talks about the first coming of Jesus or predicted the first coming of Jesus, there are eight prophecies to every one that predicts his second coming. Ladies and gentlemen, he wants us to know that he's coming back again. And I can tell you one thing, we are one day closer today to the rapture than we we were yesterday and tomorrow will be another day closer. I'm looking for Jesus. How about you? Oh, hallelujah. Verse number three. Are we going to get through 20 verses? Verse number three. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time, here it is again, is near. So God gives us what here? He gives us an incentive to read this book. He gives us an incentive, to an incentive to study the book of Revelation, and he gives a beatitude here. Blessed or blessed is he 
who reads this book. I think there's seven Beatitudes or seven blessings throughout the book of Revelation that we'll touch on as we go through the book. But he promises a blessing to everyone who will read it, study it, and keep it. The greatest blessing that I can think of of studying and knowing the book of Revelation is to be aware of what's ahead and prepare ourselves and prepare our families for what's ahead. That we, Jesus said, watch and pray always that you may escape the things that are coming upon this earth and stand before the Son of Man. Didn't he say that? We'll find out as we go through the book of Revelation. There'll be some chapters. There'll be some areas that we'll cover that are not going to be very pretty. It's hard things to talk about. There'll be plagues. We'll see that there's going to be plagues and wars and earthquakes and hail and fire and, and starvation. That will run rampant throughout the earth during the tribulation period. COVID will seem like a case of the sniffles compared to the diseases and plagues and pestilence that are going to come upon the earth during a seven year, the seven-year tribulation. So blessed seems like an understatement to me. If we can know what's coming and make preparation and make sure our heart's right with the Lord and escape that mess and get out of here. Let me tell you, that wrath that's coming on this earth is not for the church. It's not for the church. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's to chasten Israel and to bring her back to God. And it's also to judge a world and mankind that has snubbed their nose at God, that have continued in sin, that have, that have, that have, have rebelled and refused the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is long-suffering. God is long-suffering. God is patient. God is loving. But when this begins to come to pass, it will be judgment on the earth. Judgment's coming. We don't like to talk about it. Some preachers refuse to talk about it. Jesus, yes, he is love. Yes, God is love. But I'm going to tell you what, this, this junk and mess and ungodly filth that's going on in the world today and in our nation today, God is not going to allow that to go unjudged or unpunished. So thank God we're blessed if we can get out of here. Amen. So he said, blessed are those who not only read it and study it and hear it, but, but keep it. Now what he said, it's only those who keep the word and hold on to the word and who make Jesus their Savior and live for him that will escape the devastation that's coming. So we don't want it to neglect this book, and that's why we're studying it. The time is near. The time is at hand. Again, he speaks of the imminent impending coming of the Lord that it can happen at any time. And we have those today, you know, that are, Peter said, are mockers. They say, oh, it's not near. Where's the promise of his coming? Peter dealt with them too in his day. But he said, listen, God's not slack concerning any of his promises. Hallelujah. He's long-suffering, not willing any should perish, but all come to repentance. And he's coming back just as he said that he would. Verse number 4 through 6, John to the seven churches. Now he's beginning, <clears throat> he's giving the message now that Jesus is going to give to the seven churches. He says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. And the Asia that he's speaking about is actually modern day Turkey is where those seven churches were located. 
Grace be to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne of God and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. I preached on this Sunday, so we won't have to go over this again. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he mentions the seven churches in Asia. Seven, as we know, is what? The number of completion. It's, it, it designates completion. The number seven is used multiple times all through the book of Revelation because it's the book that brings everything to completion. And so when he talks about seven churches, he's depicting with these seven churches that he gives here um, the entirety of the church age. Now, he's not writing to these seven churches alone. These were active congregations in John's day, and we will get better acquainted with these congregations in chapter 2 and 3, But because Jesus has a message for each one of them, but what he's saying to these churches applies to us as the church today. You see the Trinity uh, mentioned here in this chapter. Somebody said, well, the word Trinity is nowhere in the Bible. Well, bacon's not in the Bible either, but I believe in it. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> but he talks about here, he says that it's grace and peace from him who is and was and is to come. That's God the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, that's the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead. So here we see uh, the Father, we see the, the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit. Now when he talks about the seven spirits that are before the throne, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. But again, the number seven is what? It represents fullness and completeness. So before the throne is the Holy Spirit in all of his power, majesty, and fullness. Amen. Uh, it's the sevenfold, referring to the sevenfold, the seven spirits of God, refer to the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit that we find in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. He said that the Spirit, that he talked about the, the fullness of the Spirit there and said that, that he mentions the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. So that's the sevenfold fullness of the Holy Spirit. So John is receiving this from the Father, from the Holy Spirit, from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 5 and 6, he begins his exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I preach from these verses on Sunday morning. Hallelujah. How that, praise God. And so get the CD from that. But he has, he's the, he's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. Means he was raised from the dead never to die again. He's the ruler over the kings of the earth. He's in control of the the kings of the earth, to him who loved us. He washed us from our sins in his blood. He's made us kings and priests to his God, and to him be glory forever and forever. So he's exalting the Lord Jesus for who he is and for all he's done. And then in verse 7, he says, Behold, he's coming with clouds. Here's the coming again, only now he's talking about the second coming. He's coming with clouds 
and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. So now again, he's giving, the Lord's giving the reassurance that he is coming. The event here is the second coming. We must differentiate between the rapture and the second coming. Amen? They're two separate events. Amen? The rapture is Jesus coming for his church. The second coming will take place seven years or so later when he comes back to the earth with his church. That's when he returns to the earth, and that's what verse 7 refers to. He comes back, Jesus does, to the earth to bring judgment upon the world and to set up his throne and to set up his millennial kingdom to rule and reign on the earth for 1,000 years. All right? So the rapture is our go time when he comes for us. The second coming when he comes back, we'll be with him Hallelujah on those white horses coming with the clouds. Praise the Lord. So the world as a whole will not experience or see Christ at the time of the rapture, right? It's a secret coming only for those who are in Christ Jesus. But at his second coming, when he comes to establish his kingdom, all will see him. Isn't that what he says? All the tribes of the earth, all, every eye will see him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even those who pierced him, which refers to the nation of Israel, they will see him when he comes back. How's the whole world going to see him? Well, at that battle of Armageddon, every news media source will be there. Amen. CNN and NBC and Fox and all the news. It'll be, you know, man, I'll tell you what. We've got 24-hour news. Everything that's taken place all across the world can be seen by satellite TV. And that event will be one, that coming back of the Lord, where people, every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him, and they shall mourn and wail because of him. Why? Because he's coming back to bring judgment on the armies of the Antichrist that are there at Armageddon, those armies that have come against Israel. When Jesus comes back to rescue Israel, they'll just look up and see. They'll not, we, we're doomed. We're done for. They'll just begin to throw their weapons down and weep and to wail and to cry out. But it's too late. And John says, even so, amen, so shall it be. He says, I'm Alpha and Omega, verse 8. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He's the, what's Alpha and Omega? It's the first and last letter in the Greek alphabet. Amen. And he says, I'm the, I'm, I'm the A and the Z, and if you want to use our alphabet. And I'm everything in between. These, this is saying that he's the Almighty. The world began with him, and it will end with him. What he has started in Genesis will end in Revelation. All right, let's go over just a few more minutes. Y'all okay? All right. Verse 9, he says, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom, 
in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. Now, John describes himself here as a brother and a companion in tribulation with the other saints. He's going through, John's going through trials and tribulations just as the other saints are going through trials and tribulations. And right now, John is going through, John, the beloved apostle of the Lord, is going through a terrible time of tribulation. He said that he was on the island called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus and the word of God. He is there on an island that's several miles, was several miles off the coast from where Ephesus was. It's a barren rock island called Patmos. And John was sent to that island, banished to that island by Domitian, who was the emperor, the ruler at that time, and who was a tyrant that hated Christians and hated the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was uh, one who Domitian severely persecuted the church, severely persecuted Christians, had tens of thousands of Christians put to death and martyred and executed. And so John, you know, they set up statues of Domitian and people had to worship him. He declared himself to be a god, but Christians wouldn't do that. So the death penalty came upon them for not worshiping him. And John, of course, continued to preach the word of God. He wouldn't stop, even when it was against the law. He was preaching Jesus is Lord. Amen. Only Jesus can save. And because of his preaching the word and the testimony of Jesus, he was banished to the Isle of Patmos. The early church fathers tell us that before that, before that Domitian had tried to kill John by boiling him in a cauldron of boiling oil. But God, oh, hallelujah, but God intervened and he wouldn't boil. Praise God. He couldn't kill him. So we had him banished to the Isle of Patmos. And out there on that Isle of Patmos, it was a place where they were given hard labor. They were forced to labor in the mines there on Patmos. And he was imprisoned there for the word of God. John's 90 years old. He's being enforced labor, strenuous labor, mistreated every single day, but he's Still serving Jesus. Come on, somebody. He's still living for the Lord. He hadn't given up. He hadn't quit. But after Domitian's death, and this is why we know that the book of Revelation was written after 67 A.D., after 70 A.D. This is why we know that the preterist view is wrong because Domitian's Domitian's reign ended in 96 A.D. And Arrhenius, one of the church fathers, said John was banished to Patmos by Domitian shortly before the end of Domitian's reign. He was, he was assassinated. He was stabbed eight times. But 96 A.D., after the death of Domitian, John was allowed to return to Ephesus where he lived out the rest of his life, ministering in that church of Ephesus. But 
while he was on that island of Patmos, going through that time of tribulation, his prison became a place of heaven on earth. And he said in verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. <laughs> Hallelujah! I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day being Sunday, the first day of the week. And he was in the Spirit. And he said, I heard a voice behind me as a trumpet saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What you see right in the book, send it to the seven churches in Asia. And he gives the names of those churches. It was Sunday. John couldn't be with his church at Ephesus, but he was in the Spirit. He was in prayer. He was in worship. And as his worship, as he was there in worship and prayer to the Lord, on that Sunday, his worship went to the next level. He's not daydreaming. He's not imagining something. But all of a sudden, he says, I was in the Spirit. He was caught up into the Spirit. The Holy Ghost was upon him in a special way and told, had total control of his life. A spirit of prophecy began to come upon John. And John hears a loud voice that sounded like a trumpet that was behind him. And that voice said, I'm Alpha and the Omega, what you see right in the book. And John said in verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that spoke with me. And when he turned around, he said, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in the strength. When he turns around, he sees seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of those candlesticks, he sees one like the Son of Man. Who is it? It's Jesus. The, words, the term Son of Man was used by Jesus himself over 80 times in the Gospels. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. But he sees the Son of Man there. He sees Jesus full of his glory and in his full glory. The description he gives of Jesus is, 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 is dressed. He's dressed in the manner of the high priest of the Old Testament with a garment down his feet and a golden band around his chest, a sash around his chest. This is more like the Jesus that John saw at the Mount of Transfiguration. His hair was white like wool, as white as snow, showing his, the purity. His eyes as a flame of fire. His eyes were piercing and penetrating and shows his omniscience. His feet is fine brass. There's judgment there that he will trample all underfoot. Amen. And his voice is the sound of many waters designating power and authority and might. It's like a mighty Niagara. His voice is so loud and out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. Praise God. This is Christ in his glory. And John sees him and falls down at his feet as dead. And Jesus goes over and puts his hand upon him. In verse 17 and 18. And he says, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and hell. Praise God. I got news for the Democrats ain't got the keys. The Republicans ain't got the keys. The president ain't got the keys. I can tell you who's got the keys, who's got the authority, who's got the power. Jesus has the authority and the power tonight. Woo! 
he's still king of kings and lord of all lords and he's coming as I said Sunday morning he ain't coming back to take sides he's coming back to take over praise God he said write the things that you've seen the things which are and the things which will take place after this we, we talked about that that's the natural division of this book the outline for understanding and interpreting revelation. The things past, the things present, and the things future. We're going to get done because you know why? Because we're on verse 20 right now. The mystery. Let me just say something else. He, well, I'll move on. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand. And the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels. And here's what I'm talking about, the symbolism of Revelation. John saw seven lampstands. He saw seven stars in the right hand of Jesus. And everybody would be wondering, what does that mean? What are those lampstands? What are those stars? What does all that mean? But here's the thing about Revelation, why it's Revelation. Jesus tells him what it means. And he does this all through the book of Revelation with the symbolisms. And he said the seven stars, he said here's the mystery of the seven stars. Remember a mystery is what? Something that was a mystery, but it's been revealed now. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. Here it is. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Some say that the stars are literal angels that are over the churches. I believe there are angels over the churches. You believe that? I believe. I know you think I'm a little funny maybe, a little off. But I believe there's angels in this room right now. Around here as we're talking about Christ and his greatness. But the angels here, the word angel is anglos and it means a messenger. And every time the word angels used doesn't necessarily mean, you have to determine, doesn't necessarily mean an angelic being. I believe here, and many scholars agree with this, that the angels, the seven stars, the angels of the seven churches that are in the right hand of Jesus are the seven messengers or pastors of those seven churches. Because the, the angelic host is not in his hand. But it's good for me. I like it anyway to, to believe that the pastors of churches are in his hand for him to use them and to protect them and to guide them and to help them. Because I'm telling you what, I can't pastor without him. I'm glad to know I'm in the hand of the Lord. Amen. Are you glad to know that? So the pastors were in the hand of the Lord 
and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And another thing I like here is that Jesus is in the midst of his church and he's got his pastors in his hand. So now we're going to close because he's getting ready to have John to write. And Revelation is a letter. It's a letter from Jesus to the churches. And all seven of those churches in Asia were given a copy of this letter. And each church was given a copy of the letter that Jesus wrote to them and he addressed those letters. We'll see in Revelation 2-3. He addressed those letters to the angel, the messenger, the pastor of those churches. And there's things that he said that he liked. And there's things that he told them he did not like. Amen? And the things that they were doing wrong, Jesus emphatically and specifically said to them, you need to repent. Repent. And he didn't just stop there, but he said, repent or else. Well, we don't like to hear those two words. But Jesus used them, and we'll see that. Or else I will remove the candlestick. I don't want us to be removed. I want to line up. Amen. Seven churches and only two churches out of the seven that Jesus dealt with, as we will see, only two churches that he didn't have anything bad to say about. All was good. Five of them, there was some, or let's see, three of them, there was some good and some bad. And two of them, he didn't have nothing good to say about. They were a mess. So, we'll get into those churches next week, okay?